0: So please take out your sermon notes, and uh, if you'd like to follow along, take notes and turn into your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Now we've been going through the book of Mark, and we have come to chapter 15, where Jesus is crucified in the story of Mark, that powerful book. Now today we'll continue with this location of Mark, with a new series on the seven statements that Jesus made from the cross. So for the next seven Sundays, we will cover one of the seven statements spoken by Jesus from the cross. And now this will bring us right up to the following, the eighth Sunday is going to be Easter. So it's a celebration after the cross. And I'm so glad As a believer in Jesus Christ, that we all have this final chapter that is a chapter of celebration every time. Life can be difficult, but there's always this final book, uh, this final chapter that is written where we can celebrate. And so Easter is all about celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from death. Now, before Jesus dies on the cross, he had very little to say at the three judicial hearings that condemned him, and he said that we know of nothing to the guards and soldiers who abused him. They beat him, pounded a crown of thorns into his head, and flogged him. And he bore with all he bore all this with incredible restraint. We don't find any cursing, threats, or any kind of hatred that projected from his lips. And Isaiah had predicted this 700 years before the cross of Christ, that Jesus would submit himself as a lamb led to a slaughter. Number of prophecies from the Old Testament are fulfilled at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now as we come to this moment to talk about the words that Jesus spoke from the cross, they're recorded in the four different gospels. Now the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Not all seven statements are covered in one book. So we have to go through different books to find the seven statements, and we'll try to do uh, these in chronological order in the way that we believe it transpired on the day that Jesus died. So that's why we're in the book of Luke. Like many of you, we have stood by the deathbed of several individuals or people that we've watched from the transition from life to eternal life. The one thing that I've learned when we watch them people die, when a person goes through a process of death, they usually die, for the most part, die how they have lived. And this is certainly true of Jesus. His suffering and death on the cross was paralleled how he died. You may ask, how did Jesus live? Well, he lived a life that loved the Father, He had extraordinary love for others. He was gentle, except when his holy anger was stirred against injustice. His faith was impressive. His confidence was inspiring. He lived a sinless, perfect life, and we would expect no less of his death. The last words of a person are insightful to what was important to his or her life. I remember when my grandfather passed away that he had had just a, a heart attack and there on his deathbed. And I remember there in Wichita, Kansas, as many of us were around his bed. I remember hearing the last things that he was saying. And, and one of the words that stuck out to me was this. He looked at me and it was just me and then I think one of my uncles was there and he said, uh, He said, you know, and he looked right at me. He said, you know, and and just to back up, my grandfather was was a preacher. had been a believer since uh, in his um, late 20s, early 30s. And he said, you know, the things that I regret in my life, so one thing that comes to my mind, he says, I wish I had taken my daily prayer time and my Bible reading more seriously. You know, that has resonated in my heart where I think I'll take that to my grave as well. That my father, grandfather said those words and it had a lasting impression on me because of who he was and the moment he said those things. So let's read one of Jesus' last statements, the first statement of the seven statements. It happens to be a prayer. We'll read one verse out of the book of Luke. It says, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. These are the last words of Jesus Christ. And obviously, it's a serious moment. Jesus is making a lasting impression. And the first seven statements from the cross, by suffering a Savior, and he says a simple prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, what would Jesus be telling us through this prayer? What would be some of the things that we could learn from the simple prayer that Jesus spoke there on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I believe it reveals three truths, at least three truths. So the first truth that as we think of this prayer, Jesus prays this prayer to his father, his heavenly father, God, the father. And it reveals number one, that father forgives those, that the father forgives those who don't deserve forgiveness. Now, when Jesus prayed, this doesn't mean that those who nailed Jesus to the cross or those religious leaders who had plotted Jesus dead, had complete forgiveness of all their sins, and would join Jesus in heaven because of this prayer by Jesus. Don't mistake that. What Jesus is praying, it's a prayer of forgiveness about the specific sin that they were committing at that time. He asked that. Peter, when he was saying in Acts chapter 3 later on, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. he said, now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. He's talking to the Jews and talking to Jewish leaders. He said, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. What, Jesus, what Peter is trying to tell us, that those who put Jesus to death, and those that were standing listening to his words, and even the words that we uh, have just um, uh, we've just uh, have spoken from book the book of Acts is that repentance brings about salvation. Jesus says that we all have to repent. Peter was saying we all have to repent of the for, for the we may have forgiveness of sin. So I'm just saying that Jesus' prayer of forgiveness was about this specific sin and not all their sins. Listen. When Jesus Christ comes into a person's heart, he asks forgiveness of God. And just as Tony did on Friday, you know what that means? You got to get this. Positionally, they stand in the righteousness of, of Jesus Christ to a holy God because all their sins have been forgiven. They have been given their past sins and their present sins and even any future sins, they may be all under the blood of Jesus Christ, as we just sang about. The forgiveness is complete from our past to our present to our future sins. It's all taken care of. It's under the blood. So positionally, when a person comes to know Jesus and he's a follower of Jesus, he has been saved from all the past and the present and the future of, of sins. He has received that complete forgiveness. Now Jesus prays this prayer, and the Father forgive those who does not deserve forgiveness. I like what Kent Hughes said about this in the context of this verse. He says, the cosmic trauma had begun. There have never been such pain as physical and spiritual evil now that came upon Jesus in terrible conjunction. Body and soul recall. The initial shock of crucifixion had rendered him paralyzed and quivering. Physical disbelief disc- uh, screamed from several nerves. And even greater horror closed in. He would soon become sin. Here was a moment of grave injustice, the sickest and most twisted moment in all of human history as man put God to death. And we would expect that in a moment of such injustice, In a moment of such extreme suffering, a person would cry out for vengeance. Father, strike them down. Father, don't hold them guiltless. But Jesus cries out. In the midst of this darkness and suffering, he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we must ask ourselves, how could Jesus do that? And there's only one answer that fits here, my friend. Jesus said it in John chapter three to Nicodemus, a religious person. He said in verse 16, "For God so loved the world." It's only love for you and I for this world." that Jesus could cry out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Perhaps there's someone that has come to your mind that has hurt you deeply, and we struggle with forgiving them. We don't want to forgive them. We don't want to let them off the hook. We say they don't deserve forgiveness, and that may be true, but have you ever considered Do we really deserve forgiveness from a holy God who we have offended? Who are we who have taken his precious name and perhaps have used it as a curse word? Have we considered that it was for our sins that Jesus suffered and died? It's the most amazing thing that every person in this room can come to God. No matter what we have done, wherever we've been, and we can ask forgiveness to a holy God. And he says, yes, you're forgiven. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive those who don't deserve forgiveness. As they really didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know the depth of who Jesus was. The soldiers were just following orders. The ruse had been deceived by their own our uh, plans and schemes. And don't you think we should forgive those who don't deserve forgiveness? It could be that those who hurt us didn't know they were hurting you. It could be. There are times that that's true. But not all the time. It could be that those who hurt you, they didn't know this. But even if they did know, we should follow the steps of Jesus. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13 says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Let me give you a powerful story. It's about a, a lady named Corey Timboom. She had a sister named Betsy, and they had uh Been put in a concentration camp. And uh, she writes about this later after she was released. Betsy, her sister, dies in camp. But she writes this. And let me read you something here about what Corey said this. She said, It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands, and people were filing out of the uh, basement where I had just spoken. I'm moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeat Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter bombed-out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture, maybe because this, because the sea is never far from the Hollander's mind. I like to think that there were, that that's where sin. Forgiven sin were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. A solemn face stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and in silence they collected their wraps, and in silence they left the room. That's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. In one moment, I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next, the blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form in ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. You see, Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in her home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. And this man had been a guard at the Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. And now he was in front of me, a hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein, how good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I had who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Rassenberger. In your talk, he was saying, I was a guard there. He didn't remember me. Since that time, he went on. I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I'd like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Against the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, handheld out to me, but it seemed as hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men and their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of of the Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to also return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remain invalids. It was simple and as horrible as that. And I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. And I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. I prayed to the Lord, you supply the feeling. And so, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hand. The former guard and the former prisoner I had never known God's love so intensely as I did at that moment. It's a very simple but difficult point. God forgives those who don't deserve forgiveness, and so should we. And Jesus at that moment said, Father, forgive them. Now, it is believed that in the Greek, and I don't know Greek. The only guy Greek that I know is a guy named Taki. But in the Greek, that this is a, a word that, a phrase that, that is to be repeated and repeated. And, and it seems that every terrible thing that has happened to Jesus, that he, he said these words, forgive them, Father, forgive them, Father, forgive them, Father. And he did that. Whenever time something happens to us in our life, we must follow and say, forgive, forgive, forgive. So Jesus prayed to the Father for those who don't deserve forgiveness, and so should we. Quickly, let me give you two more things about this prayer that Jesus prayed. Jesus' prayer reveals, number two, the Father forgive them, reveals the depth of forgiveness whereby we know we can be forgiven. Philip Rankin says this, he says, the Savior's word demonstrated his redemptive purpose in the dying on the cross. If Jesus was willing for the Father to forgive every man who murdered him, then what sinner is beyond the reach of his mercy? Surely anyone who repents will be saved. When his enemies said, crucify, and Jesus responds, forgive. A God who says that is willing to forgive, uh, and a God who says that is willing to forgive anyone, even people like us, no matter what we have done, as long as we come to him in faith. And I ask you, my friend, what terrible sin do you think God will not forgive? What could be a greater sin than reaching up to the good shepherd's face and pulling out his beard? What awful deed could be greater than mocking and spitting in the creator's face? Tell me, how dark is your sin that you think that God won't forgive? When a soldier with a sadistic grin takes a hammer and a nail and drives it through the wrist of the innocent lamb of God? Not once, but three different times. His right hand, his left hand, and his feet. Please tell me what sin of yours is worse than what these soldiers did. I I tell you, God doesn't wrestle with the forgiveness that he offers. We are the ones that many times wrestle. Can God forgive? And yes, he can forgive. It is evident by what Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. He is willing to forgive us and receive us. The third thing, Jesus' prayer prayer reveals that Father, forgive them is a prayer that is for them. And notice, my friend, that Jesus isn't saying that he forgives them. He is asking God the Father to forgive them. It would seem that Jesus would say, I forgive you, I forgive you what you've done. But he prays to the Father. And says, forgive them. Why is Jesus asking God to forgive them? Let me give you four observations for this. Could it be that Jesus is saying, Father, don't bring revenge on these soldiers? Remember a verse that says in Romans 12 Dear friends, never take revenge in your own hands, leave it to the righteous anger of God. And then the Lord, the Scripture says, "I will take revenge. I will pay back. Vengeance is mine." God's saying it belongs to me. You give it to the Lord. And perhaps we could say, "Yes, uh, that uh, uh, you know I forgive you," and because you know I know God's going to take care of you, and He's going to give you what you deserve. And that may be true. But Jesus didn't leave it there. It seems like this is a greater. Forgiveness because he says, Father, don't avenge what has happened to me. I like it when Stephen, you remember with Stephen there when he was, he was uh, martyred and the stones were coming in and he said himself, Father, take this uh, sin away from them as he was dying there as the stones were uh, taking his life. So could it be that Jesus is saying, Father, don't bring revenge on these soldiers. Forgive them. Take this sin away from the count that they may know the mercy of God. Could it be that Jesus is making a clear statement that he held no anger or hatred in his heart for these men? Listen, when you can pray for those that have hurt you and pray a blessing upon their life, you know that you have received forgiveness. You know that you have forgiven them, and everything is okay in that relationship. Perhaps Jesus needed to do this to keep his his heart free from anger and bitterness. Forgiveness purges us from a heart of those dark emotions towards those that have hurt us. It purges us. The only way to get rid of that is to forgive them. And Jesus was very good about not letting that stick to him. He washed it away. In my human thinking, as a dad, could it be that the father was about to pull the trigger to send 10,000 angels to rescue his suffering son, to interrupt the plan of salvation, to save mankind from the guilt and punishment of sin? And Jesus stops the father by asking him to forgive them, for they do not know what they do. It's very clear that Jesus was praying, and his prayer was for them. Please understand that God loves us, that he is for us. He's not against you. He wants to be in your life. He wants to help us. He wants to take that which may be troubling you and you're struggling with. He wants to be there to help you. He is for us. Not against us. A couple applications for this message. As we go through our week, we go from here. Jesus Christ's first prayer from the cross is our first prayer for forgiveness. So we think about these seven statements, and it's truly the salvation comes when we come to the agreement with God. I'm a sinner. I have broken one or many of God's commandments. I stand in the need of forgiveness. Be merciful to me, a sinner. The only way that any person ever has this relationship with God and clears this is, God, I understand that I have sinned. And I need your mercy, and I ask for your forgiveness. And God gives it to us when we ask. The second thing is be ready to quickly forgive as Jesus forgave. Sit on the edge of your seat, ready to forgive. This keeps our lives clean of evil, of living with a gracious spirit, being quick to forgive, it's healthy in our relationship. It causes us the, the bitterness to go away. That f- the fruit of bitterness is very ugly. We don't want that in our life. And forgiveness moves that away from us, keeps our relationships going. Satan is out to destroy. He wants to divide every relationship. He wants to do that in us and among us, in your family, in your church, in your community. Satan is out to destroy relationships. And a lot of times he does this. One of his favorite tools is by people getting hurt. And then they allow that to fester, allow it to grow. It could be anybody, a close relative, a loved one, a friend. It's powerful when we come to this place of forgiveness and letting it go. One of my friends uh, that I've known for many years is uh, named uh, Norm and Michelle Lafleur. They were missionaries to uh, France. And uh, Norm's wife, Michelle, has this testimony that when she was growing up, she was uh, struggling about finding God and trying to find God. She was raised as a Catholic, and, and even though that she had a religion in her life, she still did not have, there was still this hole, there was this disconnect with God, and, and she searched for in her life. And she had gone to uh, become a nun, She was on the process of, of, you know, whatever the nunnery uh, process was. And and one of the things she decided she would go to uh, a a foreign country and serve as a nun. She got plugged into a Catholic hospital and she was serving there. And and she had gone through this, this search of God. And She came to a place in her life where she just was so frustrated and at the end of of her life and and she, with some other things that were going on, said to God, God, if you don't show up and give me answers, I'm going to give you one week and at the end of that week, I'm going to take my life. Of course, this was before she had married Norm and before they were missionaries to France. And so she worked at this hospital, and she went into this room one time. Michelle shares this, that there was a Baptist missionary that had received malaria. and He had this temperature that was, you know, just sweat coming off, and he was very sick. And she came into this hospital, and remember that she had given God one week. Reveal yourself to me, or I am going to end it. She walked in the hospital room, and there was this missionary that was laying on the bed, and he could tell that he was very sick. And And as she walked in, he stood up out of his bed and introduced himself, and then got back into bed. As you think about that individual, he was there, he was suffering, and he could have said a lot of things, and he could have Gone to some very dark, emotional, but, but he had, it didn't let that stick with him. Had this gracious spirit, and it caught her attention. Well, perhaps this man can show me who God is. So she went back, and she talked to him, and, and, and eventually he invited her to a small group Bible study. She started attending, and he got well, was able to get out of the hospital, and through that small group Bible study, she came to know Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I'm saying is that we can go through life and we can allow the things that happen to us that can destroy us or cause us to be so negative and so so dark in our responses. The thing that keeps us on the Good level and the good playing, and in, in, in the area where God can use us is this forgiveness. Because we all have difficult things that happen to us. It's not one among us that's, that, is, that is immune to difficult and, and hard times and, and people offending us and hurting us. And if you say, Well, that hasn't happened to me, well, hang around me a while and I'll offend you, okay? I'll give you something to wrestle with. It's the way life is. It's the way family is. We live in a broken world. But what keeps us in a good spot, where the glory and the the works of God can work through us, is by this forgiveness tool. We don't let stuff stick to us. Forgive them, Father. Forgive it. The same thing, we come to God. In our relationship, we have to ask him, God, I messed up there. He says, okay, it's all right, son. It's all right, daughter. You're forgiven. It's good. Everything's good between me and you. And we go on. Would you bow your heads in prayer? So we bow our heads in prayer. We open up our hearts to how God wants to speak to us today. Whatever message, wherever the Holy Spirit has pinpointed and targeted your heart, your life, this moment, would you just be open to that? Perhaps you're here today and you do not know Jesus. God comes, says, That's okay. Accept me into your life. If you're here on a journey and Maybe these truths are very new to you. That's cool. We love it. Just keep coming back. Just keep learning. And even I say, put God to the test. God, if you're real, would you show yourself to me? I'm confident he will. You look for him. He will be found. He promises that his word in God is not a liar. If you seek me, I will be found. And you'll discover the forgiveness and the peace and the joy and the love, all that comes wrapped up in knowing who Jesus is, that personal relationship. Father, we lift up every person in this room to you. Oh, Holy Spirit, speak to us how we need to be spoken to. Help us to respond how we should respond. Thank you for the great truth of Jesus Christ. Most difficult time of his life, and yet he shined. He gave us great truths that we can grab hold on. They got handles where we can carry through life to be more like Jesus Christ. Bless each and every one that's here. and we follow in your footsteps. Have a life of forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.